listening to episode 274 of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. My name's Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we continue our look at the Netflix horror series, The Haunting of Hill House. And uh, ah, things are picking up, but, you know, it's like it looks like it's going to be a slow burn with this show. Yeah, absolutely. They're definitely setting up a lot of things here, but there's enough compelling stuff there that... You know, I mean, just watching Shirley's kind of like just watching her throughout this episode. I mean, clearly it was centered on her and and watching as we, you know, as stuff gets revealed, basically, is what's happening is we're, you know, gradually getting things about each of these about their lives. And of course, the, the big question is what the hell happened back when they were kids um, and we're kind of you know getting little snippets of leading up to what happened and then also obviously them afterwards and and the consequences of of what happened or i guess i should say the repercussions yeah it's funny i I read a review of this show it it was more of a general review so no no spoilers but they referred to it as this is us set in a gothic horror environment now i know you don't watch this is us but Uh, i i i i i I mean, I, I do kind of because my wife and my daughters watch it. So every okay, now so and you, then. Yeah. Right. So you're going back to find out what the heck screwed them up as adults. And um, I must say, my wife's not listening. I much prefer Hill House, but <laughs> there it is. All right. Anyway, uh, as always, Wayne and I want to remind you, emails can come to us at sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com. Go to the website, leave a voicemail with the leave voicemail tab, record your own audio clip and send it to us if you'd like. Tweet us at Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. And as always, we'd encourage you to consider joining the Facebook group and get into the discussions there. Now, uh, it's been a little while, so I want to remind everybody about the Patreon account that we opened way back to help defray the costs of producing Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. And, you know, as we said before, we're never going to charge for content. And and we do have plans. I know we've mentioned it before for some bonus content, but it it will come. It's just still in the pipeline. But I just want to thank our our patrons, Mike Jacobs, Cindy Barrick, Dan LaRock, Fred Petrie, a.k.a. Fred from the Netherlands, Harvey Williams, and Ken Pricer. Thank you, guys. means a lot. All right, now, the only piece of news uh, I want to throw out there is that we're going to be recording Sunday nights for the foreseeable future. So any feedback, if you can get it to us by Sunday noon Eastern Standard Time, that would be great. And, you know, we'll, we'll try to keep you guys uh, up to date if there are any other changes on, you know, when we're recording. All right. Now, I've got a tip of the week that I was going to mention last week, but but we were kind of pressed for time mm-hmm. then. All right. I, I know you're going to be surprised, I think. Okay. All right. All right. So if you're looking for a fun, generally well-acted and written supernatural show, check out either the CW's reboot of Charmed or the new Netflix series Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. I know you've seen neither, correct? I, I have seen neither, correct, yes. All right. Okay. Did you ever see the original Charmed? Nope. Okay. Neither did I. Now, both of these shows feature witches and magic at their core. And look, I'm a big Buffy fan, though, to be honest. I think I've said a few times I'm still on season five, but it's just because I can't seem to find time. I really don't have a lot of experience in this genre. I mean, certainly you've been through all 14 seasons of Supernatural. And and of course, we did Lost Girl, which is Supernatural 
thematically. But if you don't know, Charmed features three sisters who discover as adults, young adults, that they're witches and that once their witch mother dies, and of course they didn't know their mother was a witch either, it's up to them to prevent the coming apocalypse. Now, they're all college age. The oldest is 28, a research scientist. So um, it's you know a little more adult-themed. But Sabrina is in high school, has known she's a witch, and as the series opens, she's on the eve of her 16th birthday and her dark baptism, during which she'll sign her name in the Book of the Beast. Now, sound like anything you want to check out? No. <laughs> I got to say, though, they're a lot of fun. Uh, my wife watched Charmed uh, as I was watching it. And, you know, Michael and I dealt with it in Sci-Fi Fidelity a little while back. But uh, she thought it was fun as well. And I doubt it's something I'm going to follow up past the three episodes that I saw. But really, it's it's just because I don't have the time. Now, because yeah, Sabrina's I, well, I, on don't, Netflix... Don't get me wrong. I, I know I sound very like callous saying I, I didn't want to check it. I just, like, there's... I got a lot of my proverbial plate here as far as, uh, you know, especially Netflix dropping so many good shows uh, in the last couple of weeks. It's, it's difficult to keep up. So I can't, I can't take on any new projects at this time. Well, and dude, this is not our wheelhouse, you know? I mean, yeah. <laughs> these shows about witches, and, as you said, it's just... You know, there's just so much out there, which is a blessing and a curse. But they are fun shows. Uh, I, I certainly wouldn't recommend them for young kids. You know, your daughters are, are clearly too young for these. And even though Sabrina is Netflix, uh, it's not as edgy as I thought it would be. And perhaps that's because she's only 16. But yeah, I can certainly see edgy, where... It like the, the, the photos and, and everything. Make It looks like it's edgy, you know? Yeah, and again, I have only seen three episodes, but I think the thing about Sabrina that could turn some people off, if you are ultra-religious and you can't look past all of the Satan references and things like that, then I get it. Then then it's definitely not a show for you, but uh, you know, if you're into a show like Lucifer and you can look past that, it's probably worth checking out. So, all right, what do you got? So I got uh, I'm going to give like a half shout out to uh, Daredevil season three. I'm not done it yet, so that's why it's just a half. But uh, so far that I've seen, I think this might be the best season of Daredevil out of the three of them. There's the the one episode. There's like a kind of a prison. Well, like Matt is, he kind of breaks into a prison by you know posing as uh, this guy's lawyer. And then he has to get out while he's being attacked, and they, it's I I don't I don't think it's just one cut, but I think it's very few cuts, and it's a handheld camera, and this very tight hallway as he's trying to get out, it's so, like I'm watching like oh my god this is like this is like legit cinematography right here, you know like this is this is taking it uh, Daredevil is really taking it to the new level, it seemed like this as artistically I think as as well as being just a great story and great characters and lots of action, all the other stuff we expect. But you mean, you mean devil man, devil man, right? (laughs) Uh, What I would really would encourage, especially if you are fans of the show Vikings to check out the Netflix series, Norseman. Oh, I've seen it. I mean, I haven't watched it. I've, I've seen it pop up. 
It is so funny. It is freaking hilarious. It's like Vikings with modern anxieties, you know? It is just like each episode's only a half hour, but it is just it is it's oh my god, I can't say it. I'm I'm so happy I found it. I don't really have time to watch it just every now and then I like can you know, watch an episode. But it is so enjoyable and, and the characters are hilarious and it's just oh my god, it's great. It's great. So if you if you uh like the show Vikings and you have a sense of humor, then this this show is definitely for you. Cool. All right. You watch Vikings, right? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. I love it. Um, and, and the Norseman is so like it's it's irreverent, you know, but because it's just like, you know, it takes the piss out of all the of that stuff you see in Vikings. But uh, uh, it's just great. It's great. I love cool. it. All right. Cool. All right. Well, let's uh, talk some Haunting of Hill House. And this is episode two, Open Casket, written and directed by Mike Flanagan. And as all the episodes will be, they dropped on October 12th, 2018. So as you already said, I mean, this is a Shirley-centric episode. The first episode was really more about Stephen. So I guess we're going to get an episode about each of the five, maybe one yeah, about the father, does. one about the mother. I don't know how far you've gone in the series. Just keep that I, to yourself. I, I have it. Yeah, no, I, I, I threatened to uh, watch ahead because after watching episode two, uh, for the first time, I, I really wanted to go ahead and watch some more, but I uh, got caught up, hung up watching Daredevil. And then, you know, House of Cards is out now, too, so I'll probably watch that next. So I don't know if I'm actually going to get around to, uh, you know, jumping ahead, but, uh, you know, I, I do feel like I, I want to go ahead. I want to find out what's going on with these characters, and I want to I want to binge this bad boy. I don't think I'm going to be able to wait 10 weeks to see the whole thing, you know. Um, yeah. So we'll see how it goes. Okay. Well, uh, you know, as we said, uh, the narrative here does what it did in Stephen's episode, and that's alternate between Shirley coping with the death of the kittens when she was a child, and then, of course, her attempt to deal with Nell's death as an adult. And one of the obvious questions, and to a certain extent, they lay it out there for us, which I don't like is whether or not the kittens represent the five crane children. I think uh, Cheryl maybe even says that, oh, there's five of them like there are of us. Well, I mean, yeah, of course. And I wish the writers would have let us figure that out on our own. Not that it's that difficult to figure out. I thought it was a shout out to Game of Thrones. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Right? Uh, Well. Because there were five of them and five dire wolves, right? In well, season that's one, a good point. Remember well, that all the way back. I do. That's right. Yeah. Now, I guess the question is: the first kitten that dies that Cheryl buries is that's supposed to be Nell. And if we then take it a step further, the one kitten that does survive, although obviously we we know it meets its end at the hands of their mother, uh, which is the crane child that survives this mess so i don't know if that's where we're headed but i couldn't help thinking it now the other thing that comes up here is where's the mother cat and i'm wondering does does the missing mother cat represent olivia and her leaving her children alone yeah that, that well that could be but you know also 
what what I'm thinking is like, you know, the mother cat could just have gone out for a little bit, you know, like they don't really give the mother a chance to come back and take care of her babies, which is probably like, as Olivia rightly points out, what they should have done in the first place is probably just left the kittens there. Well, right. And I think Hugh even says that to Cheryl when they're in that shed that, you know, maybe the mother's just out and and that she'll be back, but he's not going to deny his daughter, I guess. And as you said, the mother's probably right. And and she makes a a brief attempt to hold her tongue, but she was right to say what's what. Now, the other thing that, that really gets your attention in this episode is the forever house. Yes. Certainly it's symbolic. I'm not sure of what yet, but I guess the irony is that Hill House has become their forever house yeah. since it yes. continues to haunt each of their lives. So I, well, I the, really love that. Yeah, yeah, I think the forever house represents this kind of like this this dream, this goal, you know, this better life, this happy life where everyone's they, they're together and they're a family and everyone grows up normal and not completely effed up. And of course, the Forever House is just that. It's, it's just a, it's a dream. It's a fantasy. It's as Shirley says. It just looks like lines on paper, right? And that's like basically what it is. It, it, it doesn't. I mean, Shirley has about as real an incarnation of the Forever House as you're going to get, which is a model, you know, in, at, in her mortuary slash house. In terms of this episode, I mean, we see the past at Hill House and, and then the present at the funeral home, as you mentioned, but we get that one scene that's sort of out of context, and it's the five adult siblings are together to check Luke into rehab for the first time. And, you know, we see Stephen and Cheryl have agreed to pay because he has no insurance, but when they find out it's $6,000 a month, Whew. and yeah. we... We learn that Stephen hasn't written Hill House yet, so he's still a struggling writer. Yeah, and um, right. I, I like that scene because you know we see, like you know, from from episode one, we maybe get the impression that this family is just completely and utterly screwed up, and that just they're all just a mess, and that they hate each other and everything. But really, this scene shows that they're very close and, and they're there for each other. I, you know, for me, at least, I had a much different view of the Crane children, the Crane family in Hill House after this episode. Yeah, because at this point, Cheryl and Steven seem to be getting along fine as opposed to most of the scenes that we've seen of them as adult where it's very, very strained and that she clearly blames him. I especially love that scene where she's on the phone with Steven with preparations for Nellie's funeral. Yeah. Like literally as she's pulling her open. Well, right. right. Your only job is to get two adult men on a plane and here, and then she just hangs up on him. Yeah. Which is, she's just kind of like, get it done. Don't give yeah, me your effing excuses, right? Yeah, I mean, it epitomizes their relationship at this point, so. Yeah, well, I, also, well, I mean, like, fair enough. Like, she's elbow deep in her own sister's dead body. And, you know, like, Steve's like, well, I don't know where to find Luke and Dad. It's like, just get it done. Like, I, Shirley is taking on a big job here. And emotionally, I would dare I say traumatizing job that you know 
like most people are telling her she shouldn't do. And I think maybe she should have listened to most people, though, in her defense, she does a great job. Like she doesn't want to trust this to anyone else. So I, I get that. So I also get her impatience with Steven because it's like, don't, don't give me your freaking excuses. All I get, like, get it right. Just get it done. Like, here's your job. Get it done. Use your resources and get it done. Right. Well, well I understand that. But look at the two men that he's expected to track down. One is a hardcore drug addict who sneaks out of the facility with like a week into his stay. And then the father who he's really got a strained relationship with, but you know, I, I get what you're saying. And, and I, yeah, I, I mean, they're not agree. like, like master spies or something who have gone underground. Like they're, you know, they're just normal guys. I don't, I'm not saying it won't, that'd be easy to find it, but you know, like I don't think it would be that terribly difficult. Well, well, let's go ahead and start with the present day at the funeral home. And, and right, you know, we see, the, we see that scene where Shirley's explaining to Max why he sees his dead grandmother as he sees her. And of course it all makes perfect sense and explains that about her job as a mortuary makeup artist and, and the thing about the open casket. I think we automatically tie this into the visions that Nell had as a child of bent neck lady so one of the things that we're still struggling with in this series is knowing what's real and what's not what's just their imagination right and what's not so well that's why i you know i said this last week and again I, i you know i'm throwing this a prediction out there i don't know like you know so far i think the only actual supernatural thing that we've seen is like steven sees nelly's ghost but then even after this after this episode we're like well you know because clearly shirley is seeing things when she sees her mother right in the on the other table uh down the mortuary i guess it was her mother right yeah and sees nell sit upright yeah right so well no it wasn't Nell. it was it was like her mom right did Nell? oh you're right you're right you're right yeah, but either way, it's clearly something she like. She's like imagining things, right? So, I mean, you know, was Nell's ghost was it an actual ghost, or did Stephen imagine? Now I know there's a lot of things there where you could say, well, how, why would he imagine his sister's ghost when you know he didn't know she was dead yet and everything? I mean, I, I don't know. I just like, Stephen says it himself in in the first episode that. Um, you know, there's things, you know, he doesn't use the word supernatural. We, I can't remember what the word he used. Like, There's like natural occurring things that we just don't understand yet. So we feel like it's magic, right? So sure. I, my take is that the quote unquote haunting of Hill House here, at least so far, it seems to me more a psychological haunting rather than a supernatural haunting. And something that is explainable by, you know, by through what we understand of the world as it is. There are a couple of scenes in the course of this discussion that will, you know, maybe provide answers, sort of. But I'll hold off till the the right time on that. You mentioned that she's got the model of Forever House uh, in the office at the funeral home. And. We don't know for sure if it's the one mom designed. It certainly appears to be, but and I would certainly think it, it is. But 
we see her look at a man with a drink sitting on the couch outside her office and then when she right. looks back he's gone yeah. so the the question is who's this guy and, yeah. and my my first reaction was it was the funeral director from when she was a child that helped her up to the open casket of her mother but fred and of course fred has become the master at screen caps and figuring Uh out really what's going on he doesn't think it is and i can't remember if he told me that in a instant message or if it's uh it's in in his his feedback feedback. it's it's his feedback so yeah i I mean i i did look at the pictures on the feedback and obviously the guy on the couch has no beard um I, I don't think that's him. I, I, when I f- saw it the first time, I kind of thought it was Steven because you can't really see it very well. You, you know, you really need to stop it and and freeze it and kind of zoom in to figure it out. Um, none of which I was willing to do because I knew Fred would do it. So, um, but looking at it a little more closely, it doesn't seem to be the guy. It's definitely not Steven. It's definitely not the guy. It's not uh, the other possibility. I thought maybe she's seeing. Hugh, but it wasn't Hugh either. So I don't know who that guy is, and you know, saluting her with his drink or whatever. So, right, which was kind of a cool visual. Not that we had any idea what it really means, but Cheryl finds that her husband's got a solo checking account, and and of course, I think it's Theo that says, "Yeah, be sure to let your imagination get the best of you." That's the first step. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Start but, with the worst possible scenario and let's go from there, right? Like, I, I love Theo. Her, like, her sense of humor is so dry. Like, you know, I mean, obviously Theo's got issues herself, but she does, like, you know, when uh, Shirley's daughter admires her because she's the cool Aunt Theo. Well, yeah, she is the cool Aunt Theo. She's super cool, you know? Yeah, to the point where she got gloves at the mall like her aunt. And, of course, the, these humongous winter gloves that yeah. uh, you could probably explore Mount Everest with. But I guess my question, is Cheryl's husband secret checkbook important or well, is well, it just yeah, a course. red herring? Well, I, I mean, you know, all right, let's just let's pause and talk about husbands here for a second, right? Because, yeah, like – Always a possibility. I mean, certainly when you discover your spouse has a secret bank account that you didn't know about and your spouse is the one running your business and doing the the books and the money, I mean, that's kind of a concern, I think. You know, I yeah. would be concerned. I, I would... I would, that would something I would definitely need to have a conversation about and just say, hey, WTF, you know, you've got your own bank account, like what's what's going on here, you know? Strong possibility it's just a red herring. But if we look at like, because we really get, this is our really, I mean, we saw her husband a little bit in the previous episode, though I don't know if we knew he was her husband then. I think, at first I thought he might be just like a business partner or something. You know, I didn't think it was her husband's husband. Um, so we see Shirley's family life here. Her husband has a you know a, a separate bank account. Um, he seems to be a very pragmatic guy because he's you know a first of all he 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 takes care of the money. He's telling Shirley we can't do all these charity cases because it's it's like a majority of our you know business now. You are giving people things below cost, which is not good for business at all. You know, and and then he's like he he's the one who tells her that for her to 
try and do Nellie's funeral is he, he tells her she's crazy, like you're crazy, right? Which is always not a great thing <clears throat> to tell your wife, right? Now, the other thing I notice about husbands is the lack of husband. Like, so Nellie gets married, but we never see, was it Arthur? I think is the guy's name. You yeah, know, we I see can't like remember. A, I think that's what they said. But you know, we see a picture of them, uh, but we don't see him at all. And of course, in no scene with Nellie so far have we seen any kind of husband at all. I, I don't know. I don't know what to to think about that yet. But I just I'm starting to notice these things here. Well, yeah, and, and certainly we're meant to, and that was something that I wondered about. And, and I think the fact that we know what the Crane children are all going through did that have something to do with the breaking up their marriage perhaps and i I assume we'll find out i guess just going back to the checkbook he didn't hide it very well if it was supposed to be a big secret i mean i i know what you're saying and and i agree that as a husband you, you generally don't have secrets from your wife and you know live to tell about it but right. uh, you know in this case it was it was right there so i think and certainly this is what theo's implying that it's probably got an innocent explanation and his response will be well uh, i didn't even think about it. it's no big deal and she'll but but is go, it is it NBD? I don't think I don't think it's no big deal i think it's a fucking pretty big deal you know i'm sorry okay <laughs> i think it's a big deal <laughs> because you know, I mean, like, if, if I, like, went upstairs, well, first of all, you know, I mean, my wife does not handle our finances at all, so thank God. But, you know, if if I, but if she were handling the money, the, the, the money for the family, you know, and I was just like, that's your job, I don't want to know, you just take care of it, get all the bills paid, you know. And then one day I'm upstairs and see she's got, like, a separate bank account that I didn't know about. That's going to be an issue, man. That's like, to me, that's like a super big deal. You know, why Why is that? You know, like, I get, okay, you want your own bank account. Why would you get one and not even tell me you're doing it? You know, like, I mean, that seems to me that's like a really big deal. Okay. All right. Well, let's not get hung up on that. I agree with you. And, and We got hung up on it a little bit. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> Shirley wakes mumbling about old pipes and the call from Stephen wakes her and he tells her that Nell killed herself. And then that response about their father, he can't do that again. He can't just not tell us what happened. Yeah. And obviously everything comes flooding back to Hill house and she blames Steven, which seems to be her modus operandi for no matter what happens. And then she goes to tell Theo who obviously lives in, you know, the building, I guess, right next to the, Uh, funeral home and just as she approaches the house the light goes on so i assume steven called her as well and that's why the light went on other than something else because lights flashing will come up at the end of the episode and we'll right Uh, yeah and they they make a big deal of it early in the episode right with the oh when we flash the light twice you know and like they say it like a bunch of times and like Early in the episode, there's this whole, like, don't go wandering too far, you know, stay close to the house, come home when we flash the lights, all this concern for for safety in a, in a place that's, like, there, there's uh, clearly nothing around there, you know? It's like, so. Well, the yeah. other thing is, 
we get the impression they've been in Hill House for a while. So it's like I said to my mother probably and then got sent to my room. It's like, Mom, I heard you the first 93 times you told me. Right. So the fact that they made such a point of it, I I get as a narrative device, they, they wanted to get that across because it leads into the final scene of the episode. Right. Fair enough. So now the other thing that comes up is Nell's wedding and the fact that Luke missed her wedding. And then we find out why it is that he missed her wedding. So, It's like, what the hell's wrong with Cheryl? Oh, you, whoa, you, you're going to go after Shirley on this one? Well, I mean, he's high. She, he should have high to his sister's uh, wedding. He's got he's, a tie on. Yeah, he's got he's in the hoodie and the tie. Yeah, that was a nice look. Well, no, if I got turned away from if I got turned away from every wedding I showed up high at. Um, <laughs> But I mean, you know, I mean, there's obviously history here. Like he's obviously, you know, messed things up before, you know, when he was on drugs. And and she's just like, she's not having it. She's like, you are not going to mess up this day. Like maybe it would be okay, but maybe not. And she's like, she's not, she's like, there's, you know, we're not having it. We're not going to do this. It's not, there's no possibility of you messing up Nellie's wedding. Now, if he had showed up, straight i think she would have been cool with it but he's not you know and plus she's super pissed because she just laid down six grand a month for how many months and he now he just skips out and he's back on drugs i would be freaking out of my mind yeah i know but i i guess i feel like this is nell's twin you know and while well i understand that and while nell is not oblivious to what Luke's life has turned into. I, I wonder, and, and I was going to say, I wonder whether she should have been given that option, but it's her wedding day. You don't need to throw that additional right. stress on no. her as well. So, so I, I, I get what you're saying. Also, it comes up though. Shirley blames their father for Nell being as messed up as she was. So it, it always seems to come back to Stephen and the father in, in Shirley's mind. Yeah. So yeah. the father not telling the truth about what really happened. Okay. I get Stephen writing the book. I, I guess that's the principal uh, issue that, that the two of them have. I'm not sure if there's anything else that we're missing. No, that, that's clearly it. I mean, when we saw, right. She, she told Stephen, if you write this, you do this, there's going to be consequences. And though they still interact with each other, you can tell she feels completely and utterly betrayed, and she really does not like Stephen. Now, you know, you you mentioned when we were talking about the kittens briefly, and we'll come back to that uh, when we talk about Hill House's past. I forget. I think it's the mother that that says to Hugh that Shirley's view and outlook on death is going to be messed up because of the way the kitten thing was handled. While that may or may not be true, the decision to work and own, apparently, a funeral home still is mind-boggling to me. I mean, I don't know if it's mind-boggling. I would – so, he, he, like, with Shirley is, like, I think just a rash of contradictions, right? 
like on the one hand, she seems to be the most grounded and the the one that has the, the I mean, like really the healthiest attitude about death. I mean, you know, Frey talks about this in his uh, feedback, but that conversation with the kids is awesome. Like she's so good and understanding and patient, like probably like. I'll be truthful. I probably would have freaked them if they were my kids. I was, and they weren't supposed to be there. And I'm doing what she's doing. I probably would have gone ballistic on them. Yeah, but she doesn't. She's very calm and patient. And um, her her speech to the kids is, is just absolutely is it's just perfect. It's just dead on. So you know, well, the mother contends that uh, you know Olivia's view of death is skewed and terrible but you know what we see is i mean i feel like it's it's probably the healthiest of the you know of of the kids yeah now you mentioned shirley's two kids coming down to the embalming room and, and at the end the one asks why aunt nelly died and, and shirley says she doesn't know which is a lie to certainly some extent because I, i'm pretty certain she figures it has something to do with their experiences at hill house but of course she's not going to tell her preteen children anything about that i i i'm trying I, like I, I just feel like this whole idea of there being some supernatural horror that happened at hill house i'm just not really seeing it right now you know like it's it seems like from what we have now you know the only thing we have of you know Apparently, Hugh, right after uh, Olivia's death, Hugh apparently publicly blamed it on like ghosts and supernatural causes. But everything after that, it doesn't really seem like it, you know. Like, um, so, so I, I, you know, I just kind of ch- chalk this whole thing up that yes, Nellie, you know, killed herself at, at Hill House, but. Again, like the 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 reason why I, I I feel like when Shirley says she doesn't know why like like Nell did it, then which kind of begs the question: she doesn't know why Nell was there. I, I kind of believe her. I think on that one. Well, as did Olivia, right? So now two of them have killed themselves, right at Hill House, right, right. Um, which you can see now, again, like you know, answer to that more psychologically than supernaturally. Like, right? Like, you know, she's in a bad place, and she goes to where her mother killed herself, and she repeats the same thing. Like, that is not necessarily to me has any kind of effect of of, of supernatural there. Right, and you know, I keep waiting for the really scary bits if you will and and clearly at this point two episodes in it's more of a psychological horror story which is which is fine i mean it's it's sure. equally as compelling but we watch those scenes down in the embalming room and we keep waiting for Nell's eyes to open yeah, yeah, or, or for her to sit up which you know as you said when she starts seeing her mother lying on the table and and then sitting up clearly is creepy. And I like the fact that they don't give us the eyes opening, although we do get the bug crawling out of her mouth. Yeah. Which again, like then the bug disappears. So again, it seems like something that she imagined, right? Yeah. Right. And, And then as she's remembering back to the wedding and telling Luke, to just go you're not wanted 
and then apologizing to dead Nellie on the table, she remembers seeing her mother in the casket and being surprised at how good she looks. And I'm wondering, well, is this the point at which she decides that I want to go into the funeral business? This man helped me. Uh, probably not, but. Well, I think it was impactful, though. I think it probably yeah. ultimately had some significance in her life. All right. Well, let's go to Hill House. Uh, Mom is showing young Shirley her design for their forever house, which we've talked about uh, a little bit already. So first of all, you talk about going to Hill House. Can we, are we agreed now that Hill House is definitely on the East Coast? Well, I think so. I mean, we know that Stephen and Luke are in LA and we know that Shirley and Theo uh, and, and Nellie are in Boston. I mean, the cab says Boston on the side. Right. But we still don't have a specific uh, location for Hill House. But yes, I agree. It's right, on because, the East well, Coast. She sends Andy in the van to go pick up the body, right? right. Now, again, she says it, it's a long drive, but how right. long, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, all right. So, uh, mom shows young Shirley her design for the Forever House. And, you know, we've talked about the fact that we don't see indications that there's really anything wrong with their mother at this point Uh, she's an artist an architect that explanation that she sees the house as a living entity and talks about it in those terms again given the scene we'll we'll get to in a minute with the with the walls banging and all of that are, are we supposed to make a connection there that that mom sees the house as a living entity and that's what led her to kill herself yeah i I don't uh, yep very possibly you know we're 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 looking for evidence of like you know psychosis or something here like uh i can't remember which character says it but you know basically says that you know oh like i think steven says that you know mom was crazy right and we obviously saw zero evidence at all of that in episode one uh in here she has a migraine and she you know yells at um at shirley but that again is not psychotic that that's a really bad headache that's you know so um so yeah we, we still haven't seen that you know we're not seeing really i don't think signs of mental deterioration here yet yeah now we get a little bit of a snap shot of the kids and Shirley would be the one that I guess I would expect to take after her mother artistically because she's taking photos capturing scenes of her siblings of the house of her dad and and of course that's not necessarily how it turned out although I guess you could argue that that she's still an artist in the way she's able to uh, you know make up these uh people so that their loved ones can see them in an open casket but we also see theo reading alone luke playing by himself in the yard and that's not such a surprise because we saw luke playing alone in the in the treehouse right in episode one but luke sees a little girl in a blue dress standing next to an exposed fireplace on the edge of the grounds we've heard about this girl before now we get to see her and then we get that shot of the cemetery, and I did freeze it 
dude, I've got this huge magnifying glass that I got from my grandmother uh-huh. <laughs> for reading. Best I can make out is one of them says Jacob Hill died 1930. And the other one, I think it might say Faye Hill died 1938. But okay. it's it's really hard to tell. Okay. So clearly we're shown them for a reason. Oh yeah. Don't know what that is. Well, I mean, super creepy for one, like it's <laughs> yeah. like, a superficial reason, you know, like it, it's, it freaks us out. Um, but, uh, I mean, we, but we also know every, like, like I said last week, I mean, every good ghost story needs backstory, right? Needs history, needs a reason, like, you know, like the whole, you know, like, oh, it was a dark night or something. You know? um, and so the, the Hill family is this, is our background. And, and the house is, you know, clearly creepy, though I would contend in episode two, not even nearly as creepy as it was in episode one, right? Well, they well they do try, and, and I'm not sure how successful they are. I mean, Shirley enters that unlocked outbuilding, and that's where she finds the kittens. But what first freaks her out I assume she thinks she sees a face yeah. in what turns out to be that huge old hornet's nest. Right. Uh, and it does look like a face. I mean, that would freak me out too. Like, um, I don't know if I would scream like that, but well, I, well, and then, it, and then Mr. Dudley peels the wasp nest away and what's under it is this creepy wooden Halloween yeah. mask. It seems like even worse, right? Yes. So they're making attempts at creepiness I, I guess the question is how successful are they i would say yeah somewhat yeah well you know it's just it's it's funny because like in episode one like right away it's the kids and it's dark at no, we get the, the the typical kid in bed at night ghost haunting the kid at night or something whatever you know um and now in this episode almost all of the shot, not all of them, but almost all of our Hill House shots are exterior shots in the daytime, and the kids are just being normal kids, right? I mean, we're just not seeing this traumatization. Nellie, just a normal kid. I want to play tea. Let's have a tea party and stuff like that. These these kids aren't traumatized and freaked out. They're just right. normal kids living in a house, like normal family. Well, what's the deal with the dogs? Because Mr. Dudley says there are no dogs on the property. And, and of course, Hugh confirms that he hears them at night, as do we. So why does he deny that they exist? Or yeah. is it, as he says, I, we don't stay on the property, so I don't really know. But I know there aren't any dogs. Well, which is it? The Dudleys, I, I am am kind of putting it arm's length as far as like trusting them and everything, you know, because I don't know. There's just, I mean, Mr. Dudley, I mean, obviously Mrs. Dudley freaked us out. Mr. Dudley seems kind of okay, but also seems like there's stuff that he's hiding. You know? Well, no question. And it brings up the issue of the key for the Red Room. Well, Number one, why not just change the lock? Yeah. Or two, just take the door off the hinges. That is another option as well. There's, there's, there's like a lot of ways you could open that door. Like, you know, like honestly. So, um, you know, just finding the key seems like, okay, like we want that option 
let's go to option two. Yeah, like let's take off the hinges or let's you know remove the doorknob or something like that. Um, so yeah. All right. Now I don't know if you're going to agree with me, but the first really scary scene is when Theo comes into Shirley's room at night and accuses her of banging on the wall. Right. And I love the sister interaction that, you know, what the heck are you doing? And Shirley's like, what are you talking about? And then the banging starts over several walls. They both hear it. So now we're talking about something that not just one of them hears and, and we can't, chalk it up to imagination father comes in hears them screaming and is i'm not sure which one of them says it to him it's like how could you not hear it right right now it's a big house he explains it as pipes sure as hell didn't sound like pipes to me yeah no that well you know i again old house could have been i find that uh i i find that explanation dissatisfying um and then the kids clearly do. Like the kids are like, "What pipes?" Like, no, no, not not pipes. But again, you know, I mean, obviously, this is supposed to make us think this is the work of the supernatural, but you know, could very well not be. Well, we also hear dragging or or some other sound as well as the banging in the walls, but it follows up when shirley finds the first kitten dead dad digs a hole mom's found this nice box slash casket which i found to be pretty creepy especially when mom opens it to show her that the kitten actually is inside and you know they start talking about eulogies and and she gives a you know i guess a nice little eulogy but then she sees it moving and thinks it's alive as i think do we and then it's just that bug that crawls out of its yeah. mouth. Yeah. So that was no bueno. Yeah. So now Cheryl and Nell have four kittens. They wake up and all of them appear dead except one. What the hell's the deal with that eyes? On the yeah. One? Well, again, is that something that actually happened or was that something that Shirley saw? is kind of the question because we you know like th- th- we we have later in, in her adult life confirmed surely hallucinations you know is that another case or you know like they said the the cats were sick so is that you know the eyes and everything is that because they were sick well i can't remember whether nell sees the eyes as well maybe not i think because they cut the seed right after like the cat like opened up its eyes and hissed Okay. And then Olivia explaining to Shirley that kittens can't survive without their mother, which I take to be a metaphor for her family. Sure. Oh, absolutely. They're not yeah. right. They're not surviving without her. And then the scene that I think we've really got to examine in terms of Olivia's mental health is that apparently mom took the one surviving kitten out into the woods and just killed it. Yeah. I mean, I get lying to her daughter about that, but sure. I I don't know. I, I you know, I, I'm not in that position, but I, I just don't know. Well, it's, this is in direct contrast, isn't it? With what uh, Shirley does with her kids. 
right? She's like, I, I, I'll answer whatever question you have, and I won't lie to you, right? She's very adamant about that. In general, I, I don't know. Like, I, obviously, I have kids, and I, I, I don't really know. I mean, I don't know if I've really lied to them about stuff, you know? Like, I, but I get like, you know, why you would do it in some cases because you're trying to protect them from something painful. Um, well, stuff in college you lied about, right? Oh, oh well, yeah. Okay. I don't know if they really ever, ever asked the, those questions, but yeah, like, for the most part. Um, <laughs> I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I was I was definitely a virgin until we got married, for sure. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, well, okay, so, all right, touche, good example, right? Like, you know, things we say because you know, we don't want to tell our kids what we actually did in college because we don't want them to think that, like, we're proud of that and, and we want them to go and repeat that kind of behavior. You know, we, we hope that, you know, have this, you know, false idea of, of them holding themselves to a higher standard than we did and everything. So, um, you know, in, in the same way, you know, like, Olivia is just protecting uh, Shirley, so I don't think we can condemn her for lying to it we get why she does it we don't think it's that's it's not really a bad reason but uh but Shirley clearly is like you know what i'm not doing it. like i i'm gonna be completely open and honest with my kids yeah. that's commendable well, i find that well well right and I, I agree i guess i just go back to trying to evaluate olivia's mental health and is this one of our first signs that really all is not right. I mean, you know, you mentioned the migraines and anybody can get migraines. Sure. Um, Doesn't make you crazy. Absolutely not. Right. Right. So now we get to the final scene. Shirley's done with Nell, walks out of the room into her office. And then as she walks out, we see the model of the forever house to, to the left of the screen. And then suddenly the lights on the house flash twice. Right. Time to come home. So we're the only ones that see that. It's right. no crane child imagining it. True. Does it really happen? I say yes. I I say yes. Right. Yeah. I mean, clearly, you know, like unless that we're, you know, we're, we're supposed to distrust ourselves now. Um, so is this so yeah. a supernatural manifestation of Olivia telling her kids to come home? Yeah. I mean, I, that's clearly what we're meant to think. It could also be, she's got the house wired up to a timer and, Every night at a certain time, it, it blinks twice. I like my explanation better, but yeah, yeah. Right. But I, you know, I'm just saying, like, <laughs> no. you know, like, like there's, there's a that house, the light on the house flashing twice, is by no means is you know, a sign of the supernatural. Now, obviously, we're meant to think it is, right? And so I think a lot of this stuff that's happened, like the bang on the walls, we're clearly meant to think that that's the work of a ghost, but. It's not necessarily. I mean, there's, there's certainly can be a logical, especially if maybe their mom is going crazy. Like it could be mom out there in some, somehow. So, yeah, I mean, there's, there's just, there's, there's all explanations for it. Like I said, that are, are, are not paranormal. So. All right. Well, anything else you want to bring up before we listen to Fred's feedback? The only thing is I realized uh, earlier, I had said that in game of Thrones, there were, uh, five children, five dire wolves. That is not true. There were six children and six dire wolves. Okay. So I'm just saving the people who were already had their fingers over the keyboards, ready to fire off a uh, a correction. 
I gotcha. Beat you to it. So. All right. Well, let's take a listen to what Fred has to say about episode two of The Haunting of Hill House. Hello, Dave and Wayne. This is Fred from the Netherlands with feedback for The Haunting of Hill House, season one, episode two. First off, by listening to your previous podcast, I learned a new English word being jump scare. Well, that's exactly what I hate about horror movies. Creepy things, okay. Scary things, okay. But jump scares, no thanks. Okay, about the episode. There were some nice scene switches in the episode. I like the switch from Shirley's cosmetic tool set to Olivia's draw set, with which she designs the Forever House. The second was the switch from the old Halloween mask in the shed to the modern one Shirley bought for Jaden. A little hand wave moment was that the wasps chose to build their nest around a Halloween mask. It would have been more likely if the nest just had the shape of a face by chance. I fully can understand Jaden's reaction to the Halloween masks his mother bought for him. Come on, mom. I told you I wanted to be daredevil. I don't want to decorate. I just want to be daredevil. (laughs) Furthermore, he says, mom, you're killing me. Killing me, mom. And surely, can't you decorate that to look like devil man? (laughs) And Jaden is with devil man. And surely says, or whatever. Daredevil is, by the way, a show I enjoy, and I enjoy it slowly. When I have time between my, as I call, solid series, I now and then watch an episode. I'm at season one, episode 11. I especially like how Wilson Fisk is portrayed by Vincent D'Onofrio. Later in the episode, we can see how creative Shirley, like her mom, really is when she fixes her dead sister's face. Having several dead family members in the last five years, I know how important this kind of work can be. I have a high admiration for people who do this kind of work. In the sense of jump scares, I fully expected that Nell would open her eyes at some point, and that her lips moved like the kitten's lips was not so scary. I was expecting the bug to come out. A lot of what we see with the cranes is presented in such a manner that it all still just could be in their imagination. This bug getting out of Nell's mouth is an example of that, whereas in the situation of the kitten, the bug really could have been there. Sometimes flashbacks are not the best technique to use in films or series. In this series, I really have to make the creators compliment. Although the flashbacks are numerous, they are not disturbing at all. Very well done. In this episode, it's actually the other way around. The largest part of the episode plays in the past, and here are just flash forwards. It was very special that it was Halloween in this episode. Today is Saturday the 3rd of November, and I was watching the episode, and at the same time, our neighborhood had his trick-or-treat evening. The real Halloween, being last Wednesday, was not such a good time for the smaller school-going kids. Shirley's husband, Kevin Harris, is played by Anthony Ruvivar, who plays a role in Banshee, the series I talked about last week. 
This actor is from Hawaii. In Banshee, he played a Native American chief. If we see how dark-haired and medium-dark-skinned Jaden is, I find it believable that he is Kevin and Shirley's child. Another quote from this scene, Jaden. Austin said, if our masks don't look good enough, the ghosts will know it. Uh, it is us, and they will come after me. Shirley. Jaden. There is no such things as ghosts, and you know it. I think it's remarkable, knowing what they have experienced, that all these cranes are quite strong in their disbelieving ghosts. Or is it that because they know which problems superstition can cause, see what it did to their father, that they are strongly opposed to it on purpose? Okay, to the scene where you is talking to Mr. Dudley. The master's key didn't work for the room upstairs. Mr. Dudley has no other ideas and he says to you, I'm afraid not. Not for that one. I think, I think this is very uh, ominous that he says that one. Another question is, who is the guy on Shirley's couch she is sh shortly seeing? Is that the funeral undertaker from her mother's funeral? Actually, I don't think so. You have any ideas? Another point is, I think the way how Shirley is talking to her children about the death of their aunt is really breathtaking and honest. And the same is true for how Olivia is talking to Shirley about the dead kittens until she starts lying and gets a migraine attack. Best moment of the episode, when Theo shoots the Brussels sprout to the room and Ellie is uh, watching that. I think Shirley is quite strict, but also a very nice mom. For instance, allowing Ellie to wear hand gloves, like a cool Aunt Theo. Last week I asked why Theo is wearing those hand gloves. I don't think because she is a germaphobe, having sex without them and then putting them on without washing your hands. It's more like Wayne said last week, creating a distance to people. After she did put them on, she more or less immediately throws the Asian girl called Trish out. Remaining questions. What is it with the dogs barking in the night? Whereas Mr. Dudley says he never saw dogs. 2. Why do we shortly see the graves of the Hill family without any reference to it further? 3. What is making the sounds in the walls and not only sounds but also movement? 4. Is Olivia just having a migraine, or is this the first sign of a so-called insanity? I want to close up with a quote from Olivia in the beginning of the episode. When you're little, you learn how to see things that aren't there. And when you grow up, you learn how to make them real. Greetings, all the best. Fred from the Netherlands. All right, yeah. One of the things that, that Fred brings up is, is the scene transitions. And I can't decide whether I think they're done really well, which I think they are, or are they overdone? Or are they too perfect? No, too perfect. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I mean, I, I, I like how they, they move from past to present like that, you know, and, um, you know, I, I, I didn't even think about it before, but the, uh, the this is us factor going on there is definitely that's that's a thing for sure but I, I like it i like those transitions from the past to the present how they 
tie the two together and and we we see that the the one has this strong impact on the other well but i mean like the one that sticks in my mind is the mask to the mask i mean the right. one mask yeah, doesn't okay. really have anything to do with the other i mean it's yeah. a cool transition and when you see it oh that's cool well but- I, I- yeah, yeah, it, it almost begs the question: What was the whole point of that scene with uh, what's Jaden, Jaden, her son? Yes. Um, why? Why do we even have this scene where he's complaining about the mask that you know she got him to to be Devil Man? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, now, go ahead. Uh, uh, you know, just with the side note though, because um, as a kid whose mom made homemade. Uh, Halloween costumes pretty much my whole life. Um, you know, I always kind of was a little bristled with a little bit of jealousy at all the kids who, you know, they went out and their, you know, their parents got them, like bought them a costume and everything. And, um, you know, and I, I had this kind of this homemade job, um, which I actually, in my adulthood now, I, I appreciate uh, way more than, than, than the, because the one year actually um, my mom did buy me a costume. It was this Boba Fett costume. And it was basically plastic all around, plastic mask, plastic, you know, jumper or whatever. And the whole thing fell apart before Halloween night was even done. So um, so I, I get the whole uh, argument between uh, Jaden here and, and his mom. Um, but on the other hand, like, she's got a good point. Like, do it up, you know, like go and, and uh, you know, decorate yourself. But, you know, like, like all these darn kids nowadays you know he's just like you know can't be motivated to do it himself once everything handed to him right now the whole idea of not knowing what's real obviously that's what's really driving the show so that we expect is going to carry through i would think to to the very end the idea of the cranes not really admitting that ghosts are real you know, on the one hand, I, I think that's true. On the other hand, it's almost as if, and and maybe I'm just misreading things. It's like they won't admit it to each other. I mean, obviously, we know Stephen is a writer, and he's been writing about these things. and And he mentions to uh, the woman, I forget her name, in episode one, right, that he's never seen a ghost. Well, we of course know he has now, but. Uh, I wonder if it's it's really just not being able to admit to each other, but then it goes back to what really happened in Hill House, and we still have no clue. Well, and, and that's you know again, like you know, goes with my theory is that this is not ghosts because I mean, like Shirley, like Shirley says it, there's no such thing as ghosts. Her explanation to Max is a very reasonable psychological uh, explanation. Um, and, and again, so like 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 you said, I mean, though, what do we say though about the about uh, Stephen Cianelli uh, right before he found out that that she was dead? I mean, that that's something we can't ignore, obviously. So I haven't reconciled those two things exactly just yet, and I, I feel like just saying that Stephen, you know, imagined Cianelli is doesn't seem like it, it it works out very well logically. So, um, so I don't know. Now, you saw the pictures that Fred sent us. I don't know if he posted them in the Facebook group or if he plans to, but uh, Fred, nice-looking kid you got there and cool doorbell. Yeah. (laughs) The interesting thing, I I guess I 
didn't really know whether Halloween was an international holiday. Clearly, it, it is in the Netherlands anyway. Yeah, I, I think it, it has kind of, you know, I mean, it's it's definitely an American thing. And, and actually, I actually listened to a podcast once on the history of, of Halloween um, because it basically was a marketing thing for, for candy, you know, way back. Um, like the candy companies kind of came up with this whole idea. But I think with like the spread of American culture, I think it's also kind of then spread to the other places as well. So, so, all right. Now Fred's got four questions this week. Uh, first is what is it? Oh, with wait, wait, the dogs? I'm sorry, but before we go, I, cause we, we, you, you just totally ignored his, uh, bringing up daredevil and Vincent D'Onofrio's work in, in daredevil. I so, did. Yeah, I know, I know. That's uh, so. Before we get any further, I want to make sure we touch on that because uh, Vincent D'Onofrio is absolutely awesome in Daredevil um, as Wilson Fisk. And if you enjoy watching Vincent D'Onofrio work, I would suggest to watch an ep- the episode of Homicide: Life on the Street that he's in. It is probably one of the absolute best uh, hour-long episodes of television. I've ever seen. So uh, if you know if uh, you appreciate awesome acting and you like Vincent D'Onofrio, you should definitely go and check out that episode. It's a standalone. You can just watch it, and you don't need to, any other kind of foreknowledge of the characters or anything. So, though I would suggest going back and watching the entire series because Homicide: Life on the Street is freaking brilliant. All right, done. Okay. All right, questions. What is it with the dogs barking in the night? Whereas Mr. Dudley says he never saw a dog. So, yeah, we talked about that a little bit. And I think we don't really know any more than that. Uh, well, I, I mean, I, I think Dudley's full of shit. So, yeah, okay. that's like basically my assessment of, of that. So, But why? Why yeah. does he want them to think? Because he's the creepy caretaker. Okay. All right. No, I, I, you know, but yeah, you're you're right though. I, I, I'm belittling it, but yeah, you're right. Exactly. Like, why? Why? Why is like if if there's dogs there, why is he denying it? You know, like, right? I mean, is he messing with their minds? I mean, does he want them to think that maybe I'm not really hearing what I think I'm hearing? So, all right. Now we talked about the graves, and and Fred brings that up with the fact that there's really no reference to it further, and and obviously we're going to get reference. The only reference I would say, Fred, is what we got in episode one, that nobody has lived in the house since 1948 in, in terms of servants. I think they, they say, right. The the staff yeah. hasn't lived yeah. in the right. house since 1948. Yes. Which obviously but, begs the question what happened in 1948, right? Right. And then if I read those dates on the gravestones correctly, one died in 1930 and the other in 1938, that obviously still leaves some years in between. What is making the sounds in the walls and not only sounds, but the movements? And that's what I was talking about, that that you could hear a movement, like something dragging, like we heard uh, in, in the Red Room in episode one. I, I I don't know. I, I think, as we said, it's not pipes. I, I don't believe that for a second. It it does. It seems yeah. Because well, um, no, I don't think I heard anyone calling out names. But um, Theo says that you know you were banging on the on the door. I'm sorry, on the walls, and and calling out my name. So you know, I mean, pipes might like 
bang around, but they don't call out people's names. So, No, no. And then is Olivia just having a migraine or is this the first sign of her so-called insanity? I think she's just having a migraine, but, you know, pain does things to people. So I, I would say it's probably related, but it goes back to what Shirley was saying about her father. How dare you keep the truth from us about what really happened? So right. we don't know. As I said, I think the incident with her killing that fifth kitten says more about her yes. impending insanity than you know, the uh, migraine. But I guess we yeah. will wait to see. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, I anything mean, else you want to? Yeah, um, well, just the one thing, because the, the mom had what I think is probably like the key line of this episode. And, and um, you know, Fred mentioned as well, he says, you know, when you're little, you learn to see things that aren't there. When you grow up, you learn to make them real. Like, so, oh, oh, well, oh, okay. So, you know, kind of like, again, like, like as to back up my theory that the, the kids are seeing things that aren't there, right? And then as as adults, we, you know, we, we try to, to take these things and, and explain them and make them real and everything. So, I don't know. I just thought that that was like a really like kind of key line as to what might be going on here at hill house okay or is it just the first part you learn how to see things that aren't there in other words you learn how to use your imagination and as an adult you learn how to make things that are you've had in your imagination somehow tangible right whether through a work of art or a house or whatever right true so either way cool either way all right, well, good stuff, man. I, I know what you're saying about you, you want to keep going ahead, uh, but I think for me it's, it's just a time crunch that, that I think with Dark, uh, we had already both binged it before we decided to podcast about it. So Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I just, I, I, I feel like it's like, I, like I, right now I kind of want to go ahead and watch it, but like I said, I'm doing Daredevil now. I think I'm going to go and watch House of Cards after that. And then probably after that, I'll like go and watch the rest of Haunting of Hill House. But that's probably might be a couple of weeks in the future yet, though. But I just like, you know, you just want to know what the heck's going on here. You know, like it's like like because there's just like the story is, is really very compelling. You know, I just want to like I, I, I want to find out, like, is this really a ghost or, you know, what happened with the mom? What happened with the kids? Why did dad hustle them out of there? You know, all of these things. What happened to Nelly? You know, all of these questions that we have. I just like, man, I really wanted to go ahead and find out. Going to have to wait. So, yep. All right. Well, let's, we'll go ahead and leave it there. And that's going to do it for this episode of Sci-Fi oh, wait, hold TV. On, hold on. I'm sorry. Just one thing. Um, oh, um, what uh, Doug Crabtree, did you see like on Facebook? Yeah. So there's one thing that I, because um, I, I wanted to address from Doug, because he says, um, my only nitpick is the fact that Nell could call her dad with no reception issues yet. When her father calls Steve, it's not a good signal. Um, so I, I think basically there is when Nell is talking to her dad, she's like still alive. And that when the dad calls Steven, uh, he's seeing the ghost. And, and you know, for some reason, the, 
the spectral thing that's happening in front of me, uh, in front of Steven, um, has kind of messed with his cell phone signal too. Okay. I, I, I think it's, it's what's going on there. So, okay. All right. Sounds good. So, uh, thank you, Fred. Uh, thank you, Doug, who's, who's been posting regularly in the Facebook group with, uh, some really good stuff, but we'll go ahead and leave it there. That's going to do it for this episode of sci-fi TV rewatch. We want to thank you for joining us. Love to hear what you think about Hill house, dark, travelers which is still on the horizon still no concrete date for that yet encourage you to join the facebook group share your thoughts with the sci-fi tv rewatch community and if you're already a member spread the word emails to sci-fi tv rewatch at gmail.com voicemails can go via the speak pipe tab which you can get on the website and we'll be back next week to take a look at episode three of netflix's horror series the haunting of hill house titled touch but until then uh, I don't know, Dave, if you ever go on like iTunes and, and check out some of the, the ratings and reviews we've gotten there, but I like the, the, the latest one. It was pretty nice. It said uh, about our show, it said, it's very grown up and sophisticated.